are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. So our teaching text today is Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 10. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their, heart, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. Thank you, Mackenzie. There's no clapping. This is my. Thought it was so sweet that I guess we are the kind of community that can pass the peace forever. It's sweet. Um, so good to be with you this morning. We are in a series on our three pillars, which is kind of like a fancy word of saying these are our values. These are the things that we are building upon. Uh, and this is who we are. This is who we want to be as a church. So last Sunday, Gemma covered uh, formative encounter, uh, which is basically experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, as you know, that's being transformed, being healed, being made whole, being fully known and loved beings that we are created to be. Next week, Ryan's going to cover Pilgrim Community, which is another of our pillars, uh, which is basically living in Brooklyn by the valleys of heaven. That is acknowledging that we are a people on a journey with Jesus, right? And that we're called to be and to live through a different set of values, kingdom values, as Jesus said, that they would know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And that's what we hope to be as a community, to display that love and unity. And today, uh, you'd get tired of me talking about merciful presence, uh, which is basically, again, in short, is the way we respond to injustice with mercy and compassion. So we have some ground to cover today, so I'm not going to delay much, but I will pray for us real quick before we get started. Is that okay? God, thank you for the ways that you are already preparing our hearts, preparing our minds, preparing our bodies to receive what you have for us, for us individually, but also as a community, as your people. So I just pray, God, that it's not by the words that I speak, but Holy Spirit is by the words that you speak directly to our hearts that will shape us into who you want us to be. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come together and worship you. 
And we can do this together and pass the peace and be in the presence of one another and remember that you are a God who made yourself known by being present. So I just pray, God, that whatever it is that you long to speak to us, that we will be obedient and listen attentively. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way I like to cover these things is usually by answering three very simple questions, which is a good what, why, and a how, right? It just covers the whole thing. So let's, let's go by that. Let's cover what is merciful presence. When I say what is, where do we get this from? And as Gemma said last week, I really hung on this phrase, that God is not looking for admiration, but he's looking for imitation. God longs to teach us and to guide us in his way so we can live them out and display his character through us to all creation, right? Like the psalm says, let the world be filled with his glory, starting with us. So where do we get merciful presence from? Well, if you're still wanting an answer for that question, obviously we get it from God. But we don't only see merciful presence like mercy and compassion displayed on every page of the Bible, but we also learn it directly from God himself on a specific moment that he describes what he's like. See, this is Exodus 34, uh, in a passage where Moses is up in the mountain a second time to grab the Ten Commandments again. That's a different story for a different time. You can find out why he had to go a second time. But anyways, he's up in the mountain with God, and God reveals himself to him. And God passes, and he says his name. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, like I'm God. I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger, ever flowing with loyal love and faithfulness. This is the very first time that God describes himself. And the very first word he chooses to describe himself is compassionate. Like there has to be some significance to that. So let's dive a little bit into a Hebrew lesson. Are you ready? Uh, just to, to, to go deep into it, because it's good stuff, guys, I promise you. So a little bit of Hebrew here. The word compassionate in Hebrew is rakhum. Compassionate or compassionate one. Compassion is rakhamim. And I say these things not to show off because I don't know Hebrew that much. But I say these things because it's important to connect the meaning of the words. The, wor the way Hebrew works is very interesting because you have to look at a word but also know the root of it. Because the way the language connected, it was so poetic. Like it would spark your imagination. Like to try to understand and unpack more of the meaning of something. So it's kind of like connecting two different words to, to, to expand the meaning of it. It's honestly very brilliant and beautiful. But what's fascinating about this, as, as we start connecting, seeing the root of the word, which they kind of like start the same. Another root word that is connected to the word compassionate is the word rechem, which is the same word as womb. So what I would have to do is that, like, as it sparks your imagination, it says, like, whenever someone said the word compassion or compassionate, your imagination will already expand and think, like, okay, I'm also having a picture of a mother. I'm also having a picture of an emotion that is, like, driving from my core. It would convey that. It would remind you of those two things. So you're connecting the dots of a word to understand more of what this emotion is or what this feeling is. 
And the thing is that it doesn't stop there because the way we see this word used in the Old Testament over and over again is to describe a God who was moved into action in response to the cry of his people. So it's not only a deeply moved emotion that will remind you of like, wow, this is what a mother's standard feelings are towards her vulnerable child. Not only that kind of a guttural, like from my core feeling, but it's also like, I got to do something about it. So it moves into action, propels you to action. That's what happened with God every single time we see the word compassion used towards him. And as the story goes, as you know, no matter how many times God relentlessly showed mercy and compassion to the Israelites, they still chose their own ways, right? To rebel against God, rebel against one another, reject his compassion and worship false gods and all that stuff. You know, their rebellion led them to exile. They're scattered, oppressed, and slave. And a moment that where all hope seemed lost. And that's exactly that same moment that we read from the prophet Isaiah that we just read this morning. It's a very dark time for the people of God. That we read in the book of Isaiah too. That God compares himself to a mother. Full of rakhamin. Full of compassion towards her baby. Like a nursing mother who is constantly attentive to and thoughtful of her baby. So he says in Isaiah 49, this is God saying, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on her of the son of her womb? Even though she may forget, I will not forget you. That is God comparing himself and sharing, like, this is the kind of compassion I'm talking about. So in our search to know God, now search to know who he is, the mystery of God. We find a God who is full of motherly compassion and who moves into action to rescue, to restore, to redeem what is broken, lost, and what's even dead. So mercy and compassion are deep, deep emotions that originate in the core of us, right? And it propels us into action. They're integral to God's character. They move him into action, right? And that's also where we get the word presence. Because it was also through the prophet Isaiah that we receive a hopeful promise from God. Do you remember that we read a lot in Advent? That we read that God is going to act by entering into the suffering of humanity. And this is the beauty of poetry. That's why I had to go into the Hebrew. Because how is he going to do that? How is he going to go and display this compassion? He's going to show his compassion through a womb. The God of the universe, the mighty lion that we talked about last week, the holy one, the beyondness, the infinite God, the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of all things, God chose to wrap himself in flesh and move into the neighborhood to enter the world through a womb. Jesus is God's compassion on humanity. God has revealed himself to us so that we could know the fullness of him. God moved and had his being among us, his physical presence, incarnational. That's merciful presence right here on this earth, like just like you and me. And he had equal status with God, but he did not think so much so of himself. They was clinging to the advantage of that status. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside any privileges of deity or anything, and he took on the status of a slave, and he became human. He honored our bodies, our very bodies that he created. He became human and he stayed human 
Again, he could have said, God became human. Okay, I'm done. We can just be done with this. He stayed human. He had a mission to do. He stayed in the mess. He entered in our suffering. And it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim any special privileges towards it. He was obedient. He lived a selfless and obedient life. And he died a selfless and obedient death. And the worst kind of death, honestly. Death by the cross. And because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anything and anyone ever. So that all things, all created beings in heaven and on earth will bow and worship for Jesus and call out and praise the master of all to the glory of our Father. That was straight out of Philippians, by the way. That was Paul. She worked for Philippians and she worked for Oaks, no? Friends, that's, that's the God that we worship. That's the story of Jesus, a God who wrapped himself in flesh, entered in our suffering, and was present, knows everything we know, everything we've lived, to choose to rescue us from this and remind us of the better life that he offers. That is merciful presence. So why is it a value for us? Well, like we said, for values are both something that we embody as part of a culture, but also in this case, it's, it's, it's aspirational, right? Because the reality is that we're not a merciful presence people all the time. I wish we could say that about ourselves. It's not, it's not true. It's hard. It's like this is something that we're longing to become. But what is evident and is true is that we have the desire to be more like Jesus. And that he will really work with. And that's Jesus who is the perfect embodiment of this value. So... If we want to be a community to look more like Jesus, then we have to see the things that he did. We have to walk the way he walked. We have to live the way he lived. Because in the most blunt answer for this question, it is a value to us because we believe that there's absolutely no way that you can call yourself a follower of Jesus and not imitate him on this. Like you cannot separate these things. You cannot look at the life of Jesus and not see the people he was hanging out with. You cannot look at the life of Jesus and not understand what he was going through in that way. He knows you. We believe that as a church, the simplest form of a church has to be comprised of these three things. Worship, community, and mission. Worship, because as we're talking about, it has to be. It's about the lordship of Jesus. It's like not necessarily about the songs or the liturgy. or you know, it's, it's about devotion and surrendering to the king. Community, because it's about true relationship between people who live under the lordship of Jesus. A worshiping community is calibrated by Jesus' teaching and the presence of his Holy Spirit. There's a common purpose and there's discipleship with Jesus. And we also believe there has to exist mission because it's about engagement with the poor and the lost and in seeing our lives as surrendered to the mission and the purpose of God and the Word. You see, church is not a building, nor programs, nor a pulpit, nor a preacher with a microphone. Mind you, I'm not saying that those things are irrelevant. Depending on their context, I do believe that they do have their place. But what I am saying is that when it comes down to the core list of things of what a church is, those things shouldn't even make the cut. What really makes the cut is that if we are a worshiping community on a mission with Jesus, it doesn't matter if you meet at homes or if you meet in a building, five people or 5,000 people. This is who we are, and this is who we long to be. There's a passage in the scripture that, to me, it really reflects, it helps understand this point. 
And I'll be honest with you, FYI, this is one of the scariest passages for me. Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, not that goat. Different <laughs> goat. Clearly, they were not the greatest of all times. But <laughs> as many of you might know, Jesus is separating the sheep and the goat, basically the righteous and unrighteous. And he's like, sheep to the side, goats to the side. And, and he looks at the sheep and he says, like, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came visit me. And they said, like, Lord, when do we do all these things, you know? And then he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he looked at the goats and, like, says basically the opposite. And two things to highlight in this passage. One is that we cannot ignore Jesus' answer to this. We cannot brush over this because... He says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, God chooses to relate to this as family. He says, they are my king. Why would I not help them? Why would I not get involved? Why would I not step in? Why would I not suffer with? So then the question now becomes, why is this a valley? Like, why is not? It's obvious this is in the heart of God. So why wouldn't we also carry that or choose or want to or desire to carry that? But the second point that also scares me the most is that as you read through it and you, you see that the answer from the sheep and the goat, the answer for those who are like, hey, come, you inherit this, or the answer for those like, Listen, I was sick and you did not come visit me. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty. You did not give me not even a little bit of water. Their answer is exact the same. They're like, wait, God, when were you hungry? And when were you thirsty? And like, when were you naked and I didn't clothe you? For the sheep, they're like, God, I, 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 don't, even, I don't even know. I don't really remember doing these things. I was just doing it because I was imitating you. I was looking at the example you gave me. I was just living my life that way because that's how you, that's how you, whatever you did to me. But for the goat, they're like, wait, God, when, when was this? Because if I knew it was you, of course I would have given you a plate of food. No. But their answer was the same. And that scares me because that means that I must assume that for the sheep, there was a way to live a life that I'm not counting the score, man. I'm just living it. I'm not thinking about like, oh, should I, should I not? I must. This is what God did for me. Why wouldn't I? Their answer was the same. The exact same. And that's scary. Because it has to put me on check. I'm like, man, I want to do things that I don't even remember because I'm doing it. I'm just imitating Jesus. So it really brings us to the how. How then do we live out of merciful presence? I want to introduce you to Sarah, who is a good friend, and she grew up in Texas. 
She's outside of Dallas in the suburbs, and she moved to New York City to pursue theater. Uh, she went to NIU, school of her dreams. She was in the city of her dreams. She was, wow, living the life. She was like, this is it. This, um, you know, this is great, which is, I can really love to that because it's a similar story to me moving to the U.S. and moving to New York. And at that time, she found a church community who was also beautifully shaping her views of Jesus, challenging uh, and expanding, like, wow, Jesus. And her thought was like, well, let me get together with another friend and just have a simple plan. They're like, hey, what if we just read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's just read one chapter a day, and let's agree to take this seriously. How would it look like? Let's, let's just, like, let's read it and say, like, hey, what it means to follow Jesus. Let's actually follow him. Uh, simple thought. Easy. And that began to get a little bit messy in the best way possible. Because in reading through the Gospels and allowing the Gospels to read her too, she could not shake the fact that Jesus, scene after scene, was sharing meals with the poor, the marginalized, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. And she noticed that she almost never was doing that. How can I call myself a follower of Jesus and I'm not actually going to the places that he seems to be at all the time, hanging with the people that he's hanging with? So it's like, did I find a way to follow Jesus that simply completely avoids the places that he seems to be at all the time? So her decision was simple. She began to notice the places and the spaces and the people around her in her life and where was she missing major opportunities to follow Jesus? So she noticed a group of houseless folks that sat around NYU campus every day around lunchtime. And instead of her grabbing lunch and sitting in the cafeteria or talking to her classmates, she was like, I'm going to grab lunch and eat with them. So she decided to do that. And she decided to sit with them and learn their story. And she did. And they learned her story. She knew their names, they knew hers, and they shared meals, and they went from being worlds apart to actually being dear friends. And yes, that was also a slippery slope of a journey that she began with, again, of the best kind. But that was just the beginning of a journey. That was the beginning of her following Jesus in the best way she knew how and she saw how. That was the beginning of Jesus molding and shaping her heart, softening her heart towards the, words around, the world around her, opening her eyes and how to engage. And again, it's not that she had all figured out. It's like, God, I'm just following you. To fast forward a little bit, I think the point of the story is that there's, those were such formative encounters to her that later in her life when she had to move in New York City, her choice of neighborhood wasn't just like, oh, what's the easiest commute from my work to home? Or what's the best coffee shop around the area? Her choice was actually, her question was, what's the lowest income neighborhood in Brooklyn? You know, or in New York City. Like, where's the poorest place? Well, I, I got to move in there. God's there, man. Something's happening. I know this is, this is how he's shaping my heart to be. So those are the questions in her mind. And at the time, it was a letter to the Bronx. And eventually, later on, led her to, to start a nonprofit called Housing Beacon, which to this day still exists. And mind you, Sarah doesn't live in New York anymore, but I bet you 
that New York City will never be the same. Bronx will never be the same. Because of the simple step of obedience, of just, let me read through the Gospels and actually follow Jesus. Where would that lead you? I was so shaken by this because I think of my own story of not being from New York, as I think most of us are in this room. Uh, and I think many thoughts of like, wow, I'm only here for a year, or I'm only here for two years, or things like that. And you think, and you hear stories of like Sarah's and me, like, man, it doesn't stop God from doing whatever He needs to do and He wants to do through you. So how, where does it stop? Where does it start for you? I think this story is important because there's two things that it highlights. That to me is just like how we can start engaging. One is that proximity is imperative, guys. There's absolutely no way to be further removed and say, like, yeah, God bless them, bless, bless the people. No, man, you have to be next to, you have to be close. Remember what Jesus did. He moved into the neighborhood. Proximity is imperative. Martin Luther had a quote that says, like, it's, it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ to their neighbor. And you can ask me, who's my neighbor? And I'll reply with a quote. I'm kidding. Reply with a story of this traveling journeyman. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yes, it is our duty. And it's proximity. And I'm not, I think it starts with asking, who are the people around you? You're already proximal. Is that a word? I don't know. You're already close to. The proximity is imperative. Part of our formation in Oaks Church is the good way. And it's kind of like a rule of life, is the, is the ways that we practice following Jesus. And one of them, one of the eight practices is the pursuit of justice and peace in my activities. Because as followers of Jesus, we desire to, the work of our hands will glorify God and create opportunities in the flourishing of others. We want to be active participants and seeking the welfare and the shalom of our city. And again, I don't get to tell you how exactly this is going to be expressed in your life and contest. And this is the part that I get more excited about because all of you have an amazing imagination. Just open your eyes and ask God what he's doing. This is it. As a church, yes, we're always finding opportunities to engage and collectively, we'll be looking outside ourselves and be like, God, what are you doing in our neighborhood? What are you doing in the vicinity of this building? What are you doing in the places that we live? That's our job as a community. But guys, open your eyes. That's what we're here for. We're here to help each other, to point each other to Jesus in that way. We got to be in a journey with Jesus together. If you've gotten anything at all of following Jesus, if his love made any difference in your life, if being in communion with the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push, your other, don't push your way into the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. That was also straight up from Philippians. <laughs> Friends, that's a what, a why, and a little bit of a how. 
And my duty and responsibility is just to remind you of who we are. We're sent people. We're people to be called to be out anywhere and everywhere you already inhabit, but to remind the places around you that of the kingdom of God. Would you, would you stand with me? We're going to move into a time of response. The band's going to come up. And we just have an opportunity to respond to what God has already stirred inside. This is how we move on Sundays, simply because we put all the pieces together. We come, we sing songs, we worship Jesus, but at the end of the day, we're like, God, it's, it's about you. So we always just want to make space. And I would imagine that for some of you, you might be here in the room and just like, man, cool, I'm itching, let's do this, let's go for it. Yeah, it's, I, I get you, I get you. And that zeal is beautiful, it's a powerful thing. I love your hunger for justice and for righteousness. And that should never be pushed aside. And I just want to say to you that you're not alone. And you're not called to do this alone. You're called to do it with Jesus, so we have to start with him. But I also imagine that there might be some of you in the room here who might be saying like, Oh, Carlos, that was great. That was a good talk, man. Very inspiring. Thank you. But I've been down that road. And I found a lot of disappointment and hardship. And the mess that you're talking about is real. And it's not easy. And I'm tired. Because I've seen justice been delayed for too long. And I've labored towards it forever. And it just never gets easier. I just want to say that I hear you. I know you. I've been there too. And whatever you find yourself in the spectrum this morning, the invitation is still the same. Because Jesus did not invite us into a daunting, almost impossible task to do it alone. He says, I did it. It's finished. Just follow me in the journey as I put the pieces all back together. He goes ahead. So for you who are full of excitement and zeal and be like, man, I get it. This is how we're called to be. Let's go. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let him pace your steps. Don't go ahead of him. Be patient and be attentive to his every move. Imitate God in his patience, forbearance. We're on for the long haul and not for the quick sprints. For those of us who've been in this and know the hard road ahead, I know that you also know the reward. Otherwise, you wouldn't have jumped in it. The best reward of this whole thing is friendship with Jesus. He's both the journey and the destination. And we get to share that with others. Especially those who have a special place in God's heart. Those who cannot fend for themselves. Those who are vulnerable and lost. That's it. As hard as it is, this is the one thing that I am so, so certain it is worth giving your whole life away. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. This is the example we have. So this is where we start this Sunday.
We start at the table. We start with communion with Jesus. Because the table is formative encounter. Who leads us into merciful presence as the pilgrim community. I want to invite the communion service up. And I invite our pastors and elders also. And our prayer team to be on the sides. We started at the table because it's a place that reminds us of the story that we are a part of. We receive God's grace and mercy through his broken body and his shed blood on our behalf. So if you have committed your life to Jesus, if you know him as your king and savior, this meal is for you. But participation in the family of Jesus, being in communion with Jesus, also means that you have been commissioned. Again, just like Sarah, or just like Isaiah in our teaching text today, or just like any other follower of Jesus. Oaks Church Brooklyn, it is my duty to remind you of who you are. Again, that you are sent people. A community of people who love and worship Jesus and are on a mission with him. You are sent to go out in every corner of this city. To proclaim the goodness of the God that you know and love. And the good news of his kingdom. Again, whether in word or in deed. You're called to bless. To help flourish. To point to the one who is redeeming everything. That is your assignment. Again, I don't get to tell you how. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But I get to encourage you and remind you of who you are. So the way I would love to remind you today is by also anointing your hands and your feet. We're going to come up for communion and also have these folks on the side that I'll explain in a second, but we're anointing your hands and feet because I want to remind you that you are also a royal priesthood. You were consecrated. You were set apart to do the works of the Father. You were handpicked for such a special task. See, the priestly role in the Old Testament, literally, the priest literally stood between heaven and earth, between God and his people. Your role as an intercessor in behalf of the people. And trust me, there's always going to be something to intercede for. But this is the pattern we observe in the Old Testament, that through over and over again, God would have mercy on thousands, even a nation, because of the faithfulness and the obedience of one. And that's what happened with the priestly role. And that's perfectly portrayed in the life of Jesus. That's exactly what happened. He is our high priest. The one who intercedes between us and God. So we get to imitate him in doing that. Imitate Christ and embrace your priesthood. Put on your royal garments. Be consecrated for his name's sake. And intercede, mediate, stand in between and on behalf of others. That is merciful presence. You are Jesus' hand and feet to bless the world everywhere you go and everything you do. Do you hear me? So I want to remind you of this today by anointing your hands and feet. And this is how it's going to go down. So we're going to come to the table, receive communion, and walk right up to these lovely folks on the side. Uh, there's, oh, there's more of us now. Okay, great. Uh, but basically... Uh, walk right up to either side and 
one person is going to know your hands and another person is going to know your feet. You don't have to take your shoes off, don't worry. You don't have to do it. Just like ankles are fine. It's okay. It's symbolic, but it's also important. But, you know. Um, so, also just a reminder to have patience with another, because I also imagine that this can be a little chaotic. But we'll get there. It's fine, guys. We'll do this together. Um, another quick reminder is that, again, if you are coming to the table, you're not required to have your hands and feet anointed. This is symbolic as a reminder that you are called to be priest, sent, uh, and we'll have to remind you of it and anoint you. But you don't have to. Just again, feel free to. Um, but last but not least, I also imagine that there might be other people here in the room and being like, man, I have no real clue what you're talking about because I don't think I've ever experienced God's mercy or grace or compassion in that way. I'm curious. Heard about Jesus, but I don't know. I haven't really stepped that closer to him. And that's so fine. And that's so good. I'm so glad that you're here. And I would love to pray with you. If you love to experience God's compassion and mercy, please come pray with us. Patrick will be in the back. I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray for you. And any other prayer requests, please, the rest of the prayer team will be in the back as we also move here. But prayer in the back. Uh, let me just pray over us. And we'll come up for communion. Jesus, thank you for being our high priest. Thank you for dying on behalf of death that I God taking taking it all on you thank you for showing us what merciful presence is thank you for teaching us the way the way to live that is wrapped in blessing and flourishing and goodness because it's a way to live in communion with you. So thank you, Jesus, for revealing the heart of the Father, for revealing God to us. Father, I just pray that as we come up to receive your broken body and your shed blood, I just pray, God, that we would know the power of your formative encounter, know the power of your presence. And as anointed and sent God I pray that you would spark our imaginations and open our eyes to the places and the people that are already around us Father give us ears to hear I pray that just like the prophet Isaiah even before you ask who shall I send that we will raise our hands I'm here I'm here send me no questions asked God for the way that you are shaping us thank you for the longing and the desires of our heart to follow you and to know you so we bless you God we bless you this morning